I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth Admission. Just about every public school parent in San Francisco is wondering the same thing. When will kids go back to school? Susan Solomon, president of the San Francisco Teachers Union, says there's still no definitive timeline and that figuring out how to test teachers for the coronavirus is still a stumbling block. She's also addressing the idea to rename 44 San Francisco public schools and to change the way kids are admitted to the prestigious Lowell High. Plus, she shares the biggest myth about being a teacher. All right, Susan Solomon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Heather. Good to see you. Good to see you, if only on Zoom. Someday we'll meet again in person. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Well, I know that pretty much every parent in San Francisco has one question on their mind, which is, when is my kid going to be back in school? Um, What is your answer? Can you kind of describe what the discussions are and what you think a a reasonable timeline is? Uh, I think we're going to find out a lot at tomorrow night's or tomorrow afternoon's school board meeting. It starts at three. The district uh, has developed uh, a decision tree and then a dashboard, and there will be an update tomorrow about where they are in terms of readiness for opening buildings. And that will Uh help us a lot in figuring out what the capacity is for bringing students back. Do you think that they'll have any dates tomorrow, or is this just um, sort of a better roadmap of what is still needed to eventually announce those dates? There might be a date. I'm not certain. Um, And I know even though we all wish we could be back in school. I mean, certainly educators would much prefer to be teaching in person than what everybody's doing right now. It's it's such a challenge. I mean, that's an overused word, but it's so accurate. Um, And so, uh, but I think another piece of this is the uncertainty of knowing, is it going to be next week? Is it going to be next month? How is, are are we going back at all this school year? So I, I do hope there will be a date soon where the district can say, here's the map we have the guides that we have to know when we can open, whether it's partially, whether it's hybrid, what it's going to look like. So I'm I'm hopeful that we'll hear something tomorrow that will give us that information. And how often are you and central office administrators meeting about this? And what is the general consensus in terms of who should be brought back first and how that's going to work? We meet and talk about this pretty often. I mean, several times a week there are conversations with one department or another and that includes negotiations we're trying to share information as much as we can and um and a lot of this has to do with resources that are available in general for public education it's pretty shocking that some of what's holding it back is lack of resources and that's why you know this is campaign season we're all out for Proposition 15 and J and I and other local revenue measures. Uh, everybody, I think, is trying to do the best they can on with resources that were limited even before this horrible pandemic. Right. What are the major things that you're still missing? I know when I wrote about this last time, there wasn't even enough hand soap and sanitizer and you know, real basic stuff like that. Is that still missing or what do we still need to open up the schools? It sounds like there's... a. Uh, Progress has been made on soap and sanitizer and disinfectant, so I was relieved to hear that. Uh, it's one of the things is about testing and making sure that there's testing, and uh, the district is looking for a vendor to do testing, is what I've heard, and that mm-hmm. is another cost item as well. What are you hearing from teachers? Are you doing surveys or polls of your membership? And um, just from anecdotally, I know some teachers wish they could be back yesterday. Others don't want to go back till there's a vaccine. And how do you kind of balance, you know, these 
very different feelings among some teachers. Right. We, we are updating our survey now and it's going to be open for another week. Uh, but what you just described is accurate. It, it really does run the spectrum of, of teachers and other educators who uh, would like to be doing some in-person work. And in fact, they are reaching out to parents and, and see kids sometimes off, you know, outside of the school day. And then there are mm -hmm. others who, for very realistic health reasons, are quite hesitant to go back in person. So I, I think that's reflective of, men, of families as well, families with kids. Are you looking at any kind of solution where you could allow those teachers who do want to stay home to continue teaching virtually and those who do want to go back to do that? Is there some kind of split or does it have to be kind of everybody or nobody? It, 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 this is a case where it doesn't have to be everybody or nobody. In fact, when we figure out how to do even partial in-person instruction and interactions, it would be from our perspective, it should be on a voluntary basis. Anybody who feels hesitant about going shouldn't, you know, if they're worried, they shouldn't have to. They should still work. Uh, but the reality is we know that it's not going to be all 56,000 kids coming back at the same time either. So there will be a role for everybody. And uh, we, we are, as a union, starting to look into ideas for how to do some limited partial um, interactions mm -hmm. and instruction with kids in person. It's something that we'll be bringing to the school district soon as we develop that, you know, in, in conjunction with our members. We're a democratic organization. We all do this together. And so you are conducting a survey now? Yes. Do you have any preliminary results or what are what is it showing so far? It's showing it's pretty much what you said. What I don't have right now is the how many said this and how many said that. And what are you hearing from your teachers about how distance learning is going? Also, anecdotally, um, it seems like it's a lot better than it was in the spring, but that teachers and students are still exhausted and frustrated by it. That's also what I'm hearing as well. I don't think I've ever heard the words exhausted and exhausting from um, educators than I am this right now. It's uh, even to put um, a, a lesson together that's an hour long or 40 minutes long takes such a long time, this enormous shift and uh, many, many hours of work. It happens when there's not a pandemic also, but this is just a whole different thing. And really nobody's first choice. This was, an, this was not a pedagogical plan to do crisis distance learning. <laughs> yeah, and some, and, and we are hearing again a, a wide array of responses from teachers who are happy to see that they're seeing their students every day on screen. All their kids are showing up to um, to less of that. Um, whether the cameras on or not from students is something that's different by age typically, and. Uh, mm -hmm. We know that for very good reasons, there are students who feel uncomfortable turning their cameras on. And mm -hmm. we are working with that. When you say by age, is that younger students are more likely to have the cameras on and older students are more likely to have them on? Yes. How do teachers, um, you know, interact with students if they can't even see their faces? They they do it by talk using the microphone. Uh -huh. You know, there are follow-up phone calls and emails as well. Teachers and another support staff, counselors and social workers and paraeducators as well. Are you finding that some teachers are reporting that they've seen a drop off in, in the number of students logging in? I've also heard that decent sized chunk of some classes just aren't showing up. I've heard some of that, yes. And the public schools in other parts of the Bay Area are starting to open, including some districts in Marin County and Alameda. Do you think that they're jumping the gun or um, have more resources or what is the reason that they can open um, earlier than San Francisco? 
I am a little concerned that they're jumping the gun. Uh, I, I personally am worried about what some of the results might be. And, uh, and, those, and I hear those concerns from educators, certainly in Marin County and Alameda County. Uh, and again, it's not a lack of caring for their students, but caring includes caring about their health and lives. And I know that in, um, in the summer, it was hoped by the school board and central office and you that certain groups of kids would be back pretty early, including the most severely disabled kids, um, homeless students, English learners. Right. But to my understanding, nobody's back yet, right? So what was there some rethinking on that? or The priorities remain the same. And we would add to that list at this point, students who seem to be the least engaged in distance learning, that it's really not working mm-hmm. for them. Uh, so, but the same concerns remain about, does the district have the resources, ventilation, testing, PPE, equipment in order to open safely. Definitely education's always on our minds. And as you mentioned earlier, and we are calling it crisis distance learning. We're doing it because it's a crisis. It's definitely better in the spring and we're continuing to find ways to make it better. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but on Facebook, we have members who are doing tutorials on how to make your distance learning better for your students. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool, yeah. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. It seems like there's been some finger pointing. The mayor put out a pretty firm statement the other day and um, some supervisors um, and Senator Scott Weiner. Most of it was related to the renaming of 44 schools, but there was also a definite, like, we need to get these schools open. Um, do you think that the teachers union is kind of being put in a, a bad spot, or do you ever feel like um, you're being blamed for something that you can't control? Yes, and mainly I think that um, blaming each other and different, blaming, you know, the teachers, teachers union, city hall, unions in general, uh, the school district, parents, that won't get us anywhere except fighting with each other. We know that the blame really, there is blame to be had if you want to name it. It's President Trump. It's Betsy DeVos. Mm -hmm. It's a federal government Mm -hmm. that is failing to have a plan for how to address the pandemic and public services. And, uh, And we need to pay attention to that and do what we can to change that years and years of systemic underfunding of, of public education and public services. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I, in, in talking on behalf of United Educators of San Francisco, I say we all need to be talking with each other frequently and at great length and solve this together. I think um, many San Franciscans are in agreement on the number one person to blame, as you pointed <laughs> out. Um, uh, and I think a lot of parents have kind of resigned um, or dreading maybe is the right word that if their student doesn't fit into one of those categories that we discussed, such as English learner or, mm-hmm. you know, severely disabled, homeless, that they probably won't be back in school until August of 2021. Is that a reasonable expectation? That's a really good question, Heather. And I've been thinking about that too. And so again, how are we going to figure that out? And how can we increase capacity to have something going on in person for all students? Knowing again, 56,000 is a daunting number but we are open to trying things that we know will be safe and healthy. But is that kind of just what people should be expecting now? Would you say, is that fair? I don't know. Perhaps it is, but I, I hate to give up on 
other possibilities, I guess is what I'm saying. So what do you think of the idea to rename 44 public schools? Even President Trump was talking about that idea at one of his rallies the other day. So I first want to say, I know that part of, and I'm going to call it confusion, is that the people who are working on that project are not the same people who who have to figure out how to reopen schools. That discussion that's been going on for a couple of years is, is not preventing the reopening of schools because mm-hmm. it's an advisory group who are not experts on how you reopen schools. Mm-hmm. I do think it's time to take a look at the names of our schools. Uh, I don't pretend to have an opinion on all 44 schools for sure, but it's definitely a conversation that uh, our community has told us needs to be had. I think some schools wish that um, it was kind of a ground up. Like I heard that Sarah Elementary has been wanting to change their name for a long time and got nowhere, but then places like Lincoln High, I mean, I've never heard anybody object so much to Abraham Lincoln before. So it seems like some people are annoyed that this is kind of being told to them rather than schools getting to decide for themselves. Yeah, so I think school communities should have some say. And I know that they've been um, asked or perhaps told to have those meetings right now. Um, I'm, I, and that's a challenge in and of itself. Everybody yeah. dealing with so, so much right now. So we'll see um, as the process moves on, is there some flexibility time-wise? Is the deadline in December too soon? And then there's another big, um, our education reporter has been very busy. There's another big story, which is the whole um, controversy over admissions at Lowell High and whether it should remain merit-focused or um, go to a lottery And if it's just a lottery for one year because of the pandemic, or would that be a more fair approach permanently? What do you feel about that? So I I want to make sure that I say I'm not speaking in my role as the president of UESF because I need to reflect what members are saying. We don't have an official position. Uh, I will say that I think that based on what's going on right now because of the pandemic, uh, I, I think doing a lottery is one of the options that should be looked at. And I know mm-hmm. there have been concerns about um, admissions to Lowell. Uh, one of the things, and full disclosure, I'm a Lowell graduate, and as, as are my son and daughter. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, and I, we have seen a shift, I think, over the years in um, enrollment and uh, who is going to Lowell, and I think that needs to be seriously looked at. What I've always hoped for um, is another school or schools like Lowell. Why should we be turning any student away who's interested in going to a school that has the program that Lowell has? Mm-hmm. I know years ago, the attempt was made for Thurgood Marshall Academic High School to be oh, right. replicating a program like Lowell. And for various political reasons, resource reasons, that hasn't been fully realized. But if kids want to have a program like that, just like with School of the Arts, why should it be limited to 400 kids? Why not have several Lowell's and and school, school of the arts. So that's, that's a kid's preference. That's what they get. Everybody could get in who wants to go. Yeah. That, that's, cool. that's really what I think we should be fighting for. And I covered um, teachers, low salaries a lot um, a couple of years ago. And I was just wondering, you know, checking in on whether you think their pay is adequate now or whether you still hear from members who are having a hard time making it in San Francisco. I know that they have gotten raises, but um, the city remains very expensive. Yeah, so the problem has been um, lessened some, but it's still a problem. And we know that rents are dropping a little, but it, it's still so extraordinarily expensive here that uh, 
it's it's still an issue, and uh, we continue to look for ways to bring affordable housing into San Francisco for our members and also for the kids' families. Mm-hmm. Is there any progress on um, building teacher housing? There's uh, the pro- the one um, housing development is still going on uh, in the outer sunset. Yeah, um, and the places that the sites that the district identified a few years ago are still available. Just um, again, it's a funding issue. It's a possibility uh, if Prop I passes that there would be some available resources there. Mm-hmm. And we're, again, willing to talk with anyone who can help bring affordable housing to our, to our members so they can stick around. And when you were a teacher, what grade did you teach in what school? I taught one year, third grade. I had come from being a, a preschool teacher for many years outside of the, you know, not in the district. Uh-huh. The first opening was in third grade. And um, as soon as there was an opening in kindergarten, which was the next year, that's where I moved to. And what, what school? At John Sweat Elementary School, oh, okay. which, you know, closed down in 2006. I was very sad about that. Before yeah. I taught there, my kids went there. And so did my nephews. And yeah. Are you glad that you didn't have to teach kindergarten on Zoom? You know, I was thinking about that. And, <laughs> and I guess I have to say, I'm glad I have a couple of friends who are kindergarten teachers who are, are uh, making a go of it and doing great. But um, yeah. That seems like one of the hardest jobs. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, you've survived my serious questions and now it's time for the lightning round. Yes, great. (laughs) (laughs) Where's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? So I'm going to first tell you my my daughter's quote. She is um, transferred to New York City for many years now, but the best burrito is the one you're eating. (laughs) (laughs) Always. But when she's here, we go to Castillitos most of all. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh, that's a good question. I kind of like um, Heart and Soul. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Thinking back to when bars were open about 10 years ago, where was your favorite place in San Francisco to get a stiff drink? Probably, I'm not a big stiff drinks drinker, but <laughs> I really like the lounge in my neighborhood. I live in the Fillmore. Uh-huh. Live music, free live music, and good drinks and good food. Cool. What was the last book you read? Uh, Jane McAlevey's um, book, uh, No Shortcuts. What was your first concert? I think it was a Donovan concert at the Cow Palace. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is one thing administrators could do to make life easier for teachers? One thing that administrators could do is, is support them in that trust that teachers are doing the best they can and... Um, make sure that they, that teachers know that they can ask for help and not be worried about any repercussions if they ask for help. What is something parents could do to make life easier for teachers? A lot of parents already do that. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, uh, finding out if there's anything that they can do, uh, anything specific, and knowing that if you call or email your child's teacher, they might not be able to get back to you immediately. So to give them a chance to get through all their emails too. I think that's it. Uh, What is your favorite depiction of a teacher in the movies or on TV? So I guess I have to think about that because sometimes um, I get upset watching movies because what was the one with Meryl Streep when she taught violin? 
So oh. I'm negative, but she had no t- teaching experience at all. And within a week or a month, she was able to completely transform. A class. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that was my first year of teaching in the district. And I, I got a ticket for free and I thought, oh my gosh, it's not like that. Um, yeah. I don't know that I have, uh, I, I don't know that I can name one. What is a myth about teaching that you would like to debunk? That teachers only work seven hours a day and don't yeah. do anything at all in the summer. Yes, that is a pet peeve of mine when people say that. What are you looking forward to most about the pandemic being over? What is something you're not allowed to do now that you really want to do? I want to actually see my daughter and son-in-law. They do live in New York. We last saw each other in December. Oh, man, that's a long time. I am now Uh, a a closed pod with my, whatever we call it, with my uh, grandchild and his son and his parents. Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? I try to get a little bit of exercise at least every day. And I'm eating pretty well every day. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. I'm sure you need that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Heather. Thanks a lot. Thank you to Susan Solomon for joining me today, to Erica Carlos for producing this episode, and to you for listening. Remember to subscribe now to the new podcast series, Chronicled, Who is Kamala Harris? dropping Monday wherever you get your podcasts.